Hey Whiskey Ringers, it is the end of spring and almost into summer, and I have some big updates for you. First off, in case you haven't heard, we are going to be doing our first ever Whiskey Ring Podcast Barrel Pick. It is going to be not one, but two barrels of Jack Daniels Barrel Proof Rye straight from Lynchburg. And if that wasn't incentive enough, one of your fellow patrons, a patron at the $25 level, is going to be joining me for the pick. This is going to be the first pick of many. If you want your chance to be part of a pick team, this is the perfect time to up that Patreon pledge to $25. There are only four spots available at that tier. Next up is an upcoming event that I am super excited about. This is going to be the first ever virtual tasting with Riachi Distillery in Lebanon. I got to try these guys when they were in the US for just a couple of days, and this is some phenomenal whiskey. They are the only distillery actively making whiskey in Lebanon right now, and this is a tasting you're just not going to want to miss. The event is on June 17th. Make sure to order by June 10th. If you are a patron or supporter or a member of the Whiskey Ringers group on Facebook, make sure to use that discount code at checkout to get your 15% off. Hope to see you there, and thank you so much for supporting. Now, here's another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey, Whiskey Ringers, welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, I am joined by Scott Bayer from OH Ingram Whiskey in Kentucky. You may know them because of the barges that you've seen. You may know them from the very inviting website that seems to transport you right onto the river. Uh, but here, Scott's going to join us for about an hour or so and just chat about how they got here, what they're thinking about, and how the hell they got past the federal law about moored vessels. So, Scott, welcome on. David, thanks for having me, man. No worries. Um, and I know you said it right before, and I feel like I messed it up. It was, I said it right. right? It's fire, but it's, I, 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 I know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I I asked specifically. That was the first question they asked, but sorry about that. So, um, jumping right in. So, you know, Ingram is is uh, one of the newer producers uh, on the scene, especially in Kentucky. So, yeah. Uh, and with that, you know, we haven't done you haven't you and Hank together haven't done too many like podcasts and interviews yet. So we're still at the earlier stages. So with yeah, that, why don't we just a, jump into yeah, let's just jump into the origin story. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, boy, so where to start? Uh, well, I guess this, uh, you know, with, with Hank, really, this was really just a, a project out of college um, for one of his classes, uh, you know, he was getting his MBA from Vanderbilt and he ended up uh, doing really well in the class. Um, I think his, his team actually won and it was, it was essentially what we're doing right now, which is aging whiskey, you know, on the river and then creating product and, and sending it out in the market. Um, you know, it was a, a simulation and, you know, delved into flushing out a business model, um, forecasting and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you've taken, you know, a, if you're a business major, odds are you've taken something kind of similar, uh, throughout your, your course courses in college. And, um, after he graduated, uh, I want to say this was probably 20, 2014, 
Um, this is prior to me. I mean, Hank and I grew up together, but this is his, this is his part of the story, not so much mine. Um, he decided that he would actually, you know, see if there was some validity in this. And so he started asking around and uh, his godfather is actually uh, in the distribution world anyway. So he's, you know, with wine and spirits um, here in Nashville and uh, he ended up talking with him for quite some time and, and going through the whole business model. And by the end of it, uh, Robert, his his godfather, was like, well, that's actually a pretty awesome idea. Maybe I can be an investor in this. Um, and then in hindsight, or I guess going back, his Hank's father was actually, uh, he introduced that conversation. And he was, Robert was actually supposed to talk Hank out of doing this. And uh, he, he never did. So here we are, you know, however many years later because of it. Um, and so that was that was kind of the beginning of it. And then what we we go a little bit forward and it's it's now more into the concept phase. Um you know, it was it was very easy to to come up with this idea, but to put it on paper was or to bring it into reality was a little bit harder. Um and so we got Let's see, this would have been 2015, Hank established an LLC, Brownwater Spirits, and then we got our first nine barrels. So uh, we got, we purchased new make from MGP. Um, There were three different mash bills. Uh, One was a 45 wheat. I think one was a 51 rye, and then one was a, I think it was an 18% rye bourbon. Um, I wish we had done more of that mash bill in hindsight, because it was, uh, we still have those barrels. And I, I I tried some of it the other day just to see how it's coming along. And it was, it's pretty awesome. Um, but we got, you know, we got all new make. We kept three of those barrels there in Indiana. And then we put six of them, we split them up and we put three on one barge and three on another one of those barges was in Wycliffe, Kentucky. And then the other one was in Metropolis in Illinois. And um, at this time I was moving up to Nashville uh, to finish school at Belmont. And I, I remember I, I was looking at my photos the other day and one popped up from 2017 of these barrels that were at six months by that point. And we had pulled some samples and it was, it was, you know, it was pretty great for, for six months just to see that transition already starting to happen with that whiskey and um, compared it to what we had at MGP. And it was, you know, a huge difference in, in color and flavor. Um, But that, that was just kind of Hank's, Hank's project. I didn't really have any, uh, idea as to what he was doing at that time. I wasn't really in the whiskey game at that point. Um, I was still finishing up school and stuff and I ended up, you know, going to school here. And then while I worked, well, while, while I, while I was going to school at Belmont, I ended up working at, um, Greenbrier, um, which is in Nashville marathon, uh, music works. And, so we were, you know, making Bell Mead and stuff like that at the time. 
And I was really just doing it to pay the bills. And then uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I fell in love with, with the, you know, the whole whiskey process and um, just everything that's involved in it. And I had worked with them for quite some time. And then uh, in 2020, Hank had offered me a position with Brownwater Spirits as the director of sales and operations. So uh, then it was, you know, really starting to become a reality. Um, and we had this, you know, all these barges, well, we had the one barge at the time and we're wrecking barrels on it. Um, but one thing that Hank and I had failed to really come up with was an actual product. You know, we didn't, we didn't have the marketing side of any of this down. So we didn't have a name at the beginning. And then um, through, you know, Hank being very meticulous, we developed this bottle, which was a custom bottle. Um, and then we ended up using his name because we couldn't think of a better one. You know, River Wash didn't really sound all that good. So hey, names tend to work pretty well in whiskey. Yeah. Noticed, you know, so. And, and OH Ingram kind of has a, a nice old timey sort of uh, name to it. So. It sounds uh, like it could be in the Heaven Hill portfolio, you know, like T.W. Samuels, J.W. Dant kind of thing. The two initials yeah, in the name. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that that pretty much that was kind of the uh, the 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 short version of everything. Um, but I think you had asked again, or you had asked about the uh, the I guess the loophole, really, right, about aging on the river. Oh yeah, so so yeah, that's the natural next step, I think, because people are trying a lot of things with brick houses and warehouses, with, <laughs> you know, shipping containers and regular brick houses and whatever uh, yeah. style in the U.S. Whatever. Yeah. But river aging is pretty, you know, out there. Let's say. Yeah. Uh, patent pending, and we'll we'll be the only ones out there. Um. So this really, this was, <laughs> this was kind of sheer dumb luck um so before we had purchased those barrels under an experimental permit there was you know a lot of people telling hank no and uh just a lot of red tape around the whole thing so he was gonna scrap the idea for a little while and he had sent out um some emails to a few different lawyers a lot of them you know said don't do it don't don't try it's not worth it you know and and then uh, like two weeks after all of that, he had gotten an email back from from a lawyer who was just at a tax conference um, talking about something very similar to what we were looking at. And uh, essentially, there was this guy who was trying to get out of paying warfage taxes on his house, which mm -hmm. happened to be a floating house. Um, and Hank tells the story better than I do, but basically it made it all the way up to the Supreme court and uh, he ended up winning with the logic that, that you know, uh, uh, whether the house flirting or not without, without a motor, it's not declared a, a you know, a moving vessel. And so mm -hmm. we kind of use that same logic to say, well, a barge, you know, without a push boat moving it along the river, it's just kind of a floating vessel. So um, we then were able to say, you know, that, that would be our our warehousing so we're the only ones doing it on the water now because of it and you know just to get the the obvious comparison out of the way that i'm sure you get asked every single time you talk with this um 
you only you're the only people doing it on the rivers. Of course, you're going to think of Jefferson's doing it with the ocean. Who? Um, no, yeah. No. <laughs> um, and the other one I should mention too, just because I, I uh, know them over there, is um, Kayo over in Japan also does ocean aging. Yeah. It's more. Um, it they do it more like it's yes, it's ocean, it's offshore of Japan, but it's more kind of they just go out into the open sea and uh, anchor there. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of stay there. They're not traveling; they just stay there. But well, the I idea guess... being that. Yeah, that uh, it, it's, you know, on the water in some way. Right. So. And actually, I guess that would be a closer comparison to us than than Jefferson's would. Um, so we, you know, we get all new make. It comes to the barge essentially next day and it's on there its whole life. Um, you know, whereas Jefferson's, they'll, they'll take their aged whiskey and then they send it on their voyages, which is awesome. Um, I have a couple of bottles myself and I've, I've always loved what they've done. Uh, but, you know, we're... Uh, that is essentially the only thing that we have in common is that we're bourbon and we're on the water. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's it's a bill of lading versus our DSP permitted area. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're seeing the the natural influence of the river over several years. Right. And I, I would imagine, you know, before we get into the, the products themselves and the uh the blends because i have a couple of questions about the the blend and the switch over um from from sourced contracting with you know jefferson's big thing and you know sorry to keep bringing them up that's just like it's just a natural comparison yeah yeah um they're they're traveling with it so the whole their whole thing is it's crossing the equator however many times and you know it's in the ocean so it's going to get salt air and all of that so um and that comes off a little disparagingly for me it's not meant to, it's just, I've heard the story a lot. So, um, but when you're sitting on, on the river in one place, uh, from the simulation that was run by Hank in the, in the Vanderbilt class to the reality, what was kind of expected and what really happened once it was on the barge? So that's a good question. I don't think he anticipated the actual impact that the river had on the whiskey beyond just the rocking motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of the whole concept behind what we were doing, right? Like it's going to be on the water. It's going to be moving. Obviously that's going to cause more interaction between whiskey and wood. Um, what we didn't really account for was huge diurnal shifts and really high humidity. Um, and so during the hottest time of the year, we've actually found that we're, we're seeing more yield than we anticipated from every bottling run that we've done so far, which is really great for everybody, right? More whiskey is, is never a bad thing. Um, and then, you know, these diurnal shifts, that was, that wasn't in the, the business model, um, but you know, a, a barge giant metal container. So you you're seeing, you know, 130 plus degree days sometimes on the top racks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that river is so cold, it's basically a heat sink and it will drop the temperature drastically over the course of one day. And so that's I think where we're seeing the biggest influence from the river, which is fantastic. And it's a lot of uh, you know, there's 
a lot of companies now trying to emulate something like that on land, right? Just artificially increasing temperature and decreasing it. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about, I mean, Kentucky being humid, um, (laughs) it's kind of, I was there in August and I almost died. Um, But uh, (laughs) it's funny because the the heat sink makes sense. The humidity to me, um, it may not have come like right away, but it it makes sense just because, you know, you're on on the body of water and that could take different forms. But I'm kind of, I was surprised when you said the the diurnal shifts because I, you're totally you're totally right in that um when you say it's a huge metal container of course that's gonna heat and cool more than like a brick wood wood yeah. or stone but at the same time i'm thinking of myself usually uh on or near a body of water those shifts are kind of muted a little more than it would be farther inland um, so i'm curious about that like the those so the shifts are really kind of ex- exacerbated by I mean- the nature of it being at large yeah, you know, you you when you look at these uh, these temperatures all together from our bottom racks to our top racks, we're really seeing you know rows four through seven, eight in a in a rickhouse. We, you know, we're on the higher end of of a lot of rickhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, the stuff that's on the bottom floors in a rickhouse, we don't really we don't have that sort of temperature profile in our in our whiskey if that makes sense mm-hmm. definitely so when you're uh, so even your kind of first floor is already starting at like a fourth floor or fourth rick let's say yeah um i we went we went to green river the other day and um i think it was warehouse a and mm-hmm. you know when you when you go inside you don't expect like it it was probably in the 70s that day outside and it was mm-hmm. Ice cold in there. Mm-hmm. You know, you never really expect that, but you know, the whiskey, the, those barrels are great for insulation too. So, oh yeah, they got their own microclimate. But yeah. if you got a big enough warehouse or big enough frick house, they become the right microclimates. I had the same thing happen at uh, when I visited Jack Daniels. Yeah, yeah, um, it was so much cooler in there. And then, <laughs> c- conversely, visiting um, MB Roland it, before they built their rick house, it was just like the top of an Amish barn. So the attic of an Amish barn, it wasn't that high off the ground, maybe 15 feet of elevation. Yeah. But, you know, you could lose a quart of water an hour uh, just just standing there. And yeah. <laughs> it was killing me. I was like, oh, yeah. please put me in a closed warehouse instead. <laughs> so by, you know, by nature of what you're saying, then, then the I'm sure you're finding the whiskey is aging faster. So yes and no. I, I mean... First, I, I should say our goal is to never we're not shortcutting anything. You know, we're not we're not Oh yeah, yeah. That that should be that should be clear that that wasn't yeah. um, um meant to say that you were shortcutting the time. It was just that it it but is it, naturally it, you're, occurring. You're right. I mean we're <laughs> we're seeing, you know, um we're seeing some accelerated processes by aging it this way. And uh, you know, we we found some fairly delicate notes in whiskeys that you know, the four or five year mark that you're usually seeing in something twice its age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess another thing that we didn't, you know, that it should be taken into account here. We rack, we probably have about 3000 barrels on each barge. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, the total capacity for them versus, you know, those, those rick houses on land, they hold <laughs> 
quite a lot more than what we have. So in terms of, I think you used the term microclimate before, we are mm-hmm. essentially creating our own climate on the water. Absolutely. And what's the, so about the humidity and the uh, the temperature swings, do you, I mean, at, I guess, either site that you test that or, um, or where you are now, do you get in the winter any kind of like river, freezing or is it just too much volume of water going by for that so i was talking to someone from uh, bardstown the other day and mm-hmm. he had brought up an interesting point that i, I think it's at about 55 degrees uh whiskey stops aging so mm-hmm. it, it you know the woods contracted enough that nothing's penetrating the wood right so uh we still get those winters so once it drops that temperature, that's kind of kind of it for that point. And so we see that on the water too. Gotcha. gotcha. And so the next question I want to go to then is uh is delving into that the original sourcing and then now um coming from from Green River in, in Owensboro. Yeah. And um uh by some weird I don't know if it was a crossover or intentional. I actually ended up um, tasting samples of the MGP source product as opposed to the Green River. So okay. I have not tried what you have right now. But what I had was still uh, interesting. And you could tell that there was something different about it. Because we've we've all kind of... We've had a lot of MGP around at this point. So yeah. you kind of know what it tastes like. Which in some ways makes you notice the differences a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I, I had forgotten that you personally had also come from working at Bell Mead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've a lot of time at, with MGP product. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've now worked at two companies and I know the timing might not exactly line up, but two companies where the original sourcing was from MGP and they transitioned either to their own distillate or to a different or to contracting in a different um, distillery. So, I want to hold that thought for a second and just start with, um, you know, why MGP first go back to those mash bills you talked about and that initial blending period. So why MGP first really, that was because, uh, Hank kind of, that was the, the first company that he, he talked to, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hank didn't know what he didn't know type of thing. Right. So, um, someone had introduced him to somebody else who introduced him to MGP. So that's kind of kind of how it started. And it's, I think, also really one of the only companies that was willing to to work with us. And that was through a broker anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then we were more buying what we could versus, you know, now we're doing contract distilling where it's, okay, we can, you know, we're laying down 3,000 barrels of X, Y, and Z every year. Mm-hmm. Um and not that there was anything wrong with with you know just buying what we could from MGP, but it it kind of created some hurdles for us early on because you know we only had X number of barrels, and if, if things went really well, then uh, oh well, we didn't have any more to sell, type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those early mash bills. I think we we had let's see, we had a ninety five rye and a thirty six rye bourbon. 
Um, and that is what went into the, the straight whiskey, which is the white label, um, which is, uh, I would say that was probably our, our most polarizing whiskey. I've, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of people that either really love it or really hate it. Um, which has been, uh, funny, I think to, to meet those people. Um, and you know, everyone's palate is different, but you, you definitely, I take these batches now um, and our last batch was actually uh, OZ Tyler product anyway. But when I go to these events now, I'll, I'll still pour it for people. You know, it, it's not something that we're going to make in the future, but I'll still pour it for people. And sometimes people go, Whoa, what is that? What is that? Cause they, they really like it or they go, Oh God, Oh no. You know, <laughs> And um, it really just goes to show you, you, no one's going to like everything that we make. Um, oh, of course. And then the other, the other product that we had from them. So the, the, uh, the 15% rye bourbon um, in the, I think third year of it, which is when we were really starting to, to purchase barrels Um so those experimental barrels that we had, we started pulling samples of those and it had taken kind of a, a weird uh, funk in its life cycle. And so mm -hmm. we weren't really interested in the way that it was maturing. <laughs> and uh, then we went back to it at year six and we were like, ah, oh, man, this, this turned out really great. And, and, you know, that's kind of one of those moments where you're like, ah, we should have just bought a little bit of everything, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious uh, with the when the transition was taking place from uh, MGP to contracting with uh, you know Z Tyler and then uh, now Green River. Was there was there thought to um, because you were contracting, you could I'm assuming you could kind of tell Owensboro what you wanted to what you wanted the mash bill to be and they would distill it for you. And, you know, was there thoughts to kind of trying to recreate what you had? Um, as far as the, the straight whiskey, you know, the, the blend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think really, you know, this had come on at a point where our main focus really became our bourbon and our rye. Um, we really started to see a lot of love from consumers with those two products. And we realized, okay, well, this is, this is our bread and butter. Um, and so the products like the straight whiskey, you know, to be determined because there's, there's always a chance that we'll come out with something like that again. Maybe it'll be, you know, a, a limited release where it's, a few barrels blended together, something really cool, you know, and that's kind of what the flagship is too. It's just, it's whatever we thought was really unique that year on the barge. And we decided to blend it together and create something fun. The reason I'm asking too, is because I'm thinking about uh, so many brands have uh, tried and failed, let's say to you know, shift off of MGP or another source for that matter. And, either make it themselves or or move sort and just they try to oh, keep yeah. it the same and you know it's not yeah yeah it's a that's a huge risk i mean and honestly 
so we get that question a lot right um when we go to events well when are you guys going to distill yourselves and it's it's at that point now where i'm good if if i never see um my own still like that's that's okay by me i'm happy getting quality distillate from Mm -hmm. a source where i know is always going to be good right um we could we could do that we could you know, get enough capital together and invest in a, in a location in Columbus, Kentucky and, mm-hmm. you know, come out with state-of-the-art equipment, find great sourced corn and, and, you know, make our own bourbon. But there's always a chance it's never going to be as good as what you've already come out with. There's always mm-hmm. that chance. And if you've created this brand and you have a lot of loyalty, you know, from your consumers and they know what they're getting every time they open a bottle and all of a sudden it is not the same. Well, then you've just lost a good portion of your consumers and it can create a a lot more problems for you later on. So to that point, I I'm very happy contract distilling. Um, And we have, we have enough, uh, well, the other part of that is, I'm sure you've heard this about 70% of the flavor of bourbon of any age spirit is coming from the barrel itself. And so focusing on that back half, you know, that's, that's really, that's what we're doing. Um, that's the part that really matters to us. And we'll let, you know, green river or whoever we're contracting with worry about the, the distillate. I, I totally get that. And in some ways, I'm almost thinking about a, a comparison to uh, one of my favorite American whiskey companies right now, uh, and but they're focused entirely on finishing. It's um, Doc Swinson's. Yeah, yeah. On the West Coast. And it's kind of the same ethos to me in a way where, you know, the, the distillate you're getting, in their case, they're taking the age distillate and then figuring out a finish or playing around with the blends and then finishing it. Um, and in your in your case with OH Ingram, you're uh, changing around the way it's maturing and the way that it's thing. But the idea being that you're sourcing in a good way and contracting in with a good connotation. And then, as you said, on the back end, using the back end process to make your differentiator. Yeah. I kind of hate what I'm about to say because it, it might sound kind of pompous and I don't want it to come off this way. But it's like, because, <laughs> okay, uh, someone put it, uh, you're getting a, a blank canvas, right? And then you're deciding what is going to be on the on the painting. Um, and I think that's a, 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 you know, decent analogy for it, right? Like we're fo- focusing on finishing and, 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 you know, blending and, and that's, that's really that's where I'd rather spend my time. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, I'm not someone who uh, believes that every producer needs to be a distiller. It, to me, that yeah. just doesn't make sense. Um, and I like the idea of like, what can you do when you're given something, even something you choose? Like, you can choose maybe the background color of the canvas, but you still got to decide what you're going to paint on it. And I could say, I, I could say this. And tomorrow Hank could call me and say, Hey, by the way, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to go buy a still. So 
take everything I say with a grain of salt, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I, I, we are as a company, very much the mindset of we're, we're open to anything. So um, I have my preference, but I am always going to, you know, be along for the ride with whatever we decide to do. And so, you know, jumping back to the transition, when, what led to the transition from MGB to Green River? Because, you know, MGB does, I don't have to tell you, but, you know, they do do contract distilling. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a great question. And I don't want to disclose something that I could get yelled at for later on. But what I w- what I will You'll have say a chance is- to review. So if you say something you don't want to, we can always cut it out <laughs> later. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, it, it was... I also don't want to knock another company that I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this by, or I'll preface this by saying they both make really great whiskey. Um, and I have a, a pretty close group of friends that when I come up with anything, or if I need advice from, I will do a blind tasting. And when I put some distillate side by side, it was it was a, a pretty clear difference as to what everyone preferred. And so that was a good indicator for us. Um, and also accessibility. I mean, MGP is making a lot of whiskey and they have a lot of people buying it already. So I, I think at the time when we were figuring out our next steps, they weren't really offering much for us you know we were still a small we are a small company i mean there's only three people in this company but uh all that to say you know we didn't i think at the time seem like we might have been um i don't know i don't know i i, I don't know what i should say here um, you know, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in because i i think i can say something you're alluding to and that i've heard from other producers and and you know that and the, and this isn't to disparage mdp either we've had them on the podcast they're we all know they're doing fantastic stuff they've got some great yeah. whiskey but um the same thing happens with them as does with uh cooperages like we know kelvin does great cooperage isc does great cooperage but the fact remains if you go to if you're a cooper or a distiller, the biggest accounts are going to get first dips. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I love um, Michter's, for example, and saying, you know, we put, we spend a lot on, on wood to get the best wood. And for a while before they started distilling their own, uh, when they were still sourcing to get the best whiskey and all of that, the truth is you either have to have a lot of money to be willing to pay enough to kind of skip the line if you will or you've got to be big enough that you're you're kind of already in that line and when you're starting out and at a smaller scale it's really hard to break into those ranks and that's something i've heard from a lot of people you're a small fish in a very big pond right and you know you what you're doing it has no reflection of what you're doing it's just the fact of you know you got to get in line and what's left by the time you get to the front of the line exactly yeah so um hope that covered what you couldn't say directly so yeah yeah um, you can just, just edit yeah. all, all that other stuff. no no <laughs> you're fine you're fine um like i said I, i've i've heard it from multiple people and m- multiple distillers multiple producers so um and not just in the u.s it's, it's what happens unfortunately 
it's business. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, it's just the nature of you know any any business, any industry, really. You know, exactly. Um, and I, I think the best part about this industry is it is kind of one big community and everyone's very supportive of each other so you know even even with that happening you know just us not being first in line there who's to say what will happen down the line you know um like i said mgp makes great products and i was very happy that we got what we got from them and who knows if we will be in the future anyway so maybe we'll have some more mgp product sure and that does bring me actually to the uh to this year's flagship release yeah which um, i mean i'm just assuming by time period it would have had to be mgp because it's eight years old <laughs> you're very good at your job um so this year's i i am actually about to submit our cola stuff uh here shortly um oh, god bless you <laughs> yeah so hopefully we don't get flagged for having river aged on there again um that's always a fun story uh, but we, so I've got a weeded bourbon this year that is going to be our, our flagship for the year. So that is kind of, actually, that is the last of what we'll have from MGP that we can sell anyway. Um, we'll always have those experimental barrels, but we can't really do anything with them other than drink it. Right. Cause it's under the, um, experimental labels. Like you have to be on the bars to drink it. And yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, such a weird such a weird designation i get it but it's um like yeah we can go on a tangent about that but, TT, but I, <laughs> it's uh, okay so, it makes yeah, for so, fun holiday parties true, true. So. <laughs> so um so i guess in that case last year really we should say 2022's flagship yeah. was um eight mid-rye bourbon barrels that's right um so with Again, it must be MGP on that one, um, just from age. And combining what you were saying earlier about the aging process on these vessels, the intense diurnal shifts, the humidity, um, what what were you kind of left with when you found these barrels or when you opened these barrels? Like, were they kind of drained or like, what, what uh, did you find? I mean, they they were... They were relatively full. We got a pretty decent yield from those eight barrels. And and by that point, we had been... That's what you're asking, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we had been... What, in five, five states. So it supplied all five markets that we were in. Um, you know, we... We also... That's cut to 100 proof. So we are seeing a little bit of a bump in terms of yield because of that. Sure. Um, but... I, again, I just wish we had bought more of it. It's just one of those things where, you know, we, we're actually, um, the, the flagship label itself, that whole product was an accident because we, we had initially the white label was supposed to be a, uh, a, a commingling of three different mash bills. Um, so it was going to be 95 rye. Uh, 36 rye bourbon and then a 45 wheat and when, when and then when we tried it we were 
we're like, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll leave the weed out. And we <laughs> did. And then we didn't really know what we were going to do with the wheat uh, two years ago. And so we just sat on it and then we tried it this year and we're like, okay, I think we have, I think we have another year flagship coming down the pipeline. So. Hey, wheat whiskeys are hot right now. So yeah, you're telling me, man. Yeah. I, uh, if we can sneak a sample up to New York, I know it's not in the market here, but uh, if we can sneak some of it. We'll talk offline. About some, that. Yeah. We can talk offline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just curious. We're I haven't been trying a couple of wheat whiskeys recently. Of course, you know, Bernheim becoming more Bernheim cast drink, that's just like becoming more available. Yeah. Traverse City, Journeyman. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing more wheat whiskeys out there. It's grown. And, I, oh, mean, I mean, it's it's a yeah. it's a buzzword for bourbon drinkers now. Yeah, not just the weeders that you know we've all <laughs> come to know love. And you I know of your right shoulder, you've got a bottle of Weller and uh OWA up there. Yeah. Um I don't even remember the last time I saw one of those. Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, actually, you you probably have better access. I know Ohio is one of those states. That, I mean, you'd have to drive there, but Ohio is one of those states that gets a ton of OWA. Yeah, for the distribution, whatever process them and Texas, I think. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't ones. know how they how they go about getting yeah. all the product. And Idaho gets a lot of um, an outsized number of blends cases. Yeah. Found that out randomly. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in New York, we we get most things. We just pay a premium to get yeah, them. I was going to say, it's so. only five times the price of what it would be anywhere else. Exactly. Um, so with with the with the flagship, um, just starting with that product as well, It's it seems like you're really going for what are we finding this year that is standing out, that's unique, that's something that we really want to showcase yeah you know we we uh our blending style right now is me hank and then our our newest employee steven and we you know piecemeal together a sort of base and then we will add and remove certain barrels um until we come up with a final product and as far as as the flagship goes it's really okay what barrels really stood out what deserves to be in a a really small batch um Mm. and that's kind of how it begins and then from there we kind of dilute it down even further to okay what deserves to be in this in this small batch um because there's some barrels that are left out because they're not quite ready yet and then there's some that are you know such a unique profile they deserve to be on their own or in a small batch yeah. Well, do you do um, single barrels? So that is a, a new venture for us. Actually, I should say the first year that that we did flagship, those were single barrels. Um, okay. I didn't want them to be single barrels, but <laughs> they, it just kind of happened that way. Uh, and then we just did our first actual single barrel release this year um, with five barrels. So three of them were our weed of bourbon. And then two of them were a uh, a ninety five rye whiskey, um, and actually we just got we just did our the Ascot Awards and we got mm-hmm. our awards back. So that the single barrel rye that we submitted that got a double platinum this year, which was really cool. Um, nice. And uh, the tasting notes just said, "Damn delicious." Period. So <laughs> I thought that was really funny. 
that sounds that sounds like Lou might have been uh, tasting that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it sounds like the notes he would give. I don't know why. Um, oh, where do I want to go with this? Because uh, there's there's a whole new aging regime, so it's there's questions of like. All right, here's one I can throw at you. Uh, with with a DSP and getting mm-hmm. a DSP when you're past the process of figuring out that it's a floating vessel so you can use it you know it doesn't have a motor so you can use it as a warehouse um, but you still need to get a DSP for that was there anything different for that like is there a, a set area off of the bank where you can yeah, so we DSP. we have we have a, a permitted area where we can rectify if we so choose. Um, we haven't really done that yet because we're we're in the process now of of uh, you know we've we've moved all of our bar- our barges to Columbus, Kentucky, um, which is a little further down the river from Wycliffe. Uh, which also means that we have to update our labels, which is something that we're going through now. Um, and so, and so with that, you know, where we are on the river now, we have a little bit more real estate, uh, that we can do more with. And so the plan is to actually, you know, create a spot where I can, I can have an office to blend rather than doing it here out of my apartment and we can, you know, we can actually rectify stuff and, 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 you know, have a, a, actual legitimate facility for everything so um but yeah we you know it was not that hard to to get actually so to answer your question um you know the the abc guy out in our neck of the woods didn't really have a whole lot going on so he just came and stopped by one day and gave us the thumbs up and that was kind of it i mean yeah what western kentucky you're you've got some growth like you got some stuff happening out there i mean you know um, now now we've got what well, we got red line and paducah um right. then uh jackson purchase distillery um True and mb rollins out MB there um, I, I mean they're I, yeah that kind of counts it's western yeah they're western yeah it's you're getting like you're starting to get that western the Kentucky bourbon trail the western segment or yeah like actually when we drive up to the barge there is a billboard now for like a craft tour and it's uh, Casey Jones, MB Roland and oh, yeah, Casey Jones. Uh, Old Glory, which is in Clarksville, okay. but it's, you know, caps. I don't know if I've heard of Old Glory before. Uh, uh, they are, they are in Clarksville, Tennessee. I believe. Okay. I hope, I hope I'm getting that right. Um, um, I mean, if they're listening, give me an email, and and you're wrong. Give me an email. We'll start talking. <laughs> uh, I, I have stopped by. I, it's a cool spot. I'm <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure if it's Clarksville, but I'm I'm like 90 percent sure it's Clarksville. But it's a beautiful building. You know, um, they kind of they had just started. I feel like, and then the the pandemic happened, uh, mm. but they they survived, which is awesome to see. So awesome. So with the the first, the first question being, would you just address the uh, how far in the river can you kind of go? Question. I mean, the Ohio and the Mississippi are pretty wide rivers. It's not like you got a little 
shoreline to work with. Yeah. Uh, but at a certain point, you are going to cross over into another state, whether it's south or west of you. Um, the other th- question that I then want to ask is, um, I was listening to a couple of other podcasts that uh, Hank Adonio, including Bourbon Lens and um, a more business-focused one, he was mentioning that the height of the river mm-hmm. can impact uh, the aging process and and what's going on. So um, just uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Uh, I mean, you know, we see annual rise and fall um, of about, I think last year it was 350 feet or something like that, um, you know, cumulatively. And uh, as far as how much that impacts the whiskey is is yet to be determined. Um, the, you know, the elevation shift, I'm not sure if that's as big of a variable as, you know, say the temperature or the, the actual movement of the river. Um, but if you're seeing, you know, a, a, a rise in, in, in the river on the gauge, then obviously you're probably going to see some, some more, uh, intense water. So it, you could imagine it's going to be a little bit choppier, which is good for the whiskey. So, and with the uh, barges themselves, the way that they're set up, uh, are they open to the air at all? Is it pretty sealed up? So we try, it, unless we're actually putting barrels onto the barge, they are pretty much enclosed. Um, so they, you know, it's metal container, fiberglass top. And so, the, the cool thing about this setup is those those covers are removable. There's, you know, a female and a male end. And so um, depending on where we need to rack barrels on the barge, we can lift certain covers up and kind of just take a, a cherry picker and kind of lower stuff in down that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we try not to expose it to the elements more than we already have. Um, while humidity is good, uh, I don't know if leaving your barrels exposed to all of the elements is really the the best idea. Um, I read an article, I guess it would have been about a year or so ago now. Early on, some distilleries would actually wet their barrels. Um, uh, to keep it, them from, from drying out too much? Yeah. yeah. And the obviously you saw a higher yield that way, but it also created sort of a, a mildew profile in the whiskey. So that is something that I would like to avoid in my whiskey. Sure. <laughs> um, as of now, the humidity has been our friend, uh, but I would rather keep rainwater out of the barges if I can. Wolfburn Distillery captures the spirit of Scotland's far north. As the northernmost distillery on the Scottish mainland, Wolfburn ties together long fermentation, slow distillation, and seaside maturation for unique and superb character. Originally founded in 1821, this exceptional distillery was restored in 2012 to its original greatness, resurrecting a 200-year-old distillery on the largest blanket peat bog in all of Europe. Whether you're drinking Northland, Wolfburn's first expression, aged in American oak quarter casks, Aurora, a beautiful sherried whiskey laid down in a combination of bourbon and Oloroso sherry casks, Morvern, their lightly peated variety, or Langskip, their cast strength release. There's a Wolfburn for everyone. 
arriving to the States later this year, is their first permanent age state of release, the 10-year-old. You can also find small batch releases and limited edition bottlings at specialty retailers across the U.S. Reach out to our friends at Impex Beverages for more information on where to find your favorite expression. Wolfburn Distillery. Fortune favors the brave. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, the, the context in which I was thinking that was um, not just Jefferson's, but um, I think of kind of coastal distilleries in Scotland mm-hmm. where yeah. you start to get a little salinity and maritime notes in there. Yeah. And it almost tastes like you have salt in your whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the rivers being freshwater, that that wouldn't be the case. But I would be curious uh, if they if they were exposed to the rivers, what what that profile might look like, you know, a muddy, that might be a variable. Muddy Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> you know, know, that might know not be a variable you want to explore. But. <laughs> um, it's funny you say that. So the barge that we had in metropolis i believe that one actually took in water i think that was the one that took in water and so the bottom barrel was actually sunk in the mississippi river and uh we would joke about who would be the guy that had to drink it and Mm. i think it was probably a year ago now but we we tried it and it it was fine i mean there's you know there's companies out there that age everything underwater like complete like there's wine that they age at the bottom of uh where is it it's i'm drawing a blank now as to what company it is and where it is but you know it's not it's not possible i mean it who was it there so there was a guy that i used to work with that also he was a a distiller for greenbrier and um something that's stuck in the back of my mind is that whiskey takes on smells and so when you say, is there a profile that kind of distinguishes us? There absolutely is. Um, and it's it's something that if you've been on the barge, you can always smell it. But if you haven't, it's almost like uh, like newsprint, like like it or an old old book, like that sort of mm-hmm. old text kind of smell. Mm-hmm. That is something that I've seen consistent throughout all of our expressions. Gotcha. Yeah, I was um, well, as I was tasting them, and granted, again, this is the, your now previous product, not the not the new one. But I was thinking, like, are there any, to put it bluntly, any like <laughs> anything that would be comparable to a maritime note or something like that? Because not so much. Yeah, I, I haven't. So much. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't find any, so I, that was fine. No, was just like, no catfish uh, or. <laughs> Yeah, I mean maritime maritime is fine. Low tide is not. So we want to, so I totally get that. Um yeah, that that's supposed to be fascinating. And I I do want to just say as as we're you know wrapping up that it um I've heard Hank describe the uh wrap in the history of bourbon and whiskey floating down the Mississippi. Yeah. As as part of the story and it is a nice circle moment of you know the whiskey's going down the river that's when it started getting aged in wood because it just took a long time to get down the river it took two months sometimes yeah and which is mind-boggling to me it, it's still you know it's crazy uh but it would take two months to get down the river they get it they'd take the barrels off and suddenly that white whiskey wasn't so white anymore exactly and now you're aging 
on the river, um, not going up and down the river. And that's, I think that's an additional variable you probably don't need. Um, plus then you couldn't call it straight. Also probably so, very expensive. Yes, definitely. And then you'd have to deal with it. It would have a motor or sales or something. So you'd have yeah. to deal with that whole thing. Um, is there, is there anyone as far as you know, who, who is considering doing something similar or expanding on the idea? So uh, there are a few other companies out there. Um, there's one in particular based out of Mississippi that will essentially buy new make and have it shipped down the river. Um, and I think it's on, on the river for about two weeks. Um, and that is something that, the, you know, they kind of use as their point of differentiation, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's spent this time on the river and it's kind of that traditional method of, of how, how whiskey started. So I, I like to think what we're doing is sort of a cross section between tradition and, and, you know, innovation. Um, and I, I, that was Hank's brainchild that we're kind of just bringing to life basically. Makes sense to me. Well, with that, we'll start closing down. So I do want to point out at, uh, as always for these episodes with the show notes, uh, when they come out, we'll have links to the website where you can, uh, buy OH Ingram, where you can find it in, uh, you're in how many markets now? So we are now in six markets. Uh, you can find us in Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, Kentucky, Tennessee, Louisiana, and Georgia, which we just launched into last week. So except for Georgia, if you're, no, I think I know, I'm missing on my geography right now. Um, if you're along the Mississippi, you have a better chance right now. That's, that's right. And I, it's a good yeah. point. Um, our whole business model was really to follow the river because, you know, not everyone knows what a barge is, but most of the people that have traveled along the Mississippi have seen them. So yeah. I mean, New York, we know what the barges are, but they're mainly for garbage. So not a great connotation <laughs> yeah. there. So yeah. not good uh, to associate with. Yeah. It's, it's garbage and dumping bodies. It's very, you know, it's very Italian. <laughs> <kind of>. um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, you know, there will be notes for that. Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to hold off on putting my notes up for the whiskeys that I've tried just because I, I don't think it's fair because to you guys, because let it's me not get the you some you new, now. yeah, let me get you some new products. Um, awesome. Are you coming to Kentucky or Tennessee anytime soon? Uh, yes, in fact, I'm actually as a recording. I'm going to be in uh, Tennessee. I'm going to be in Tennessee a month from now. Okay. Um, picking uh, Jack Daniels barrels. Oh, awesome! Um, so plug for Patreon because Patreon, you guys will have first dibs at that. Um, and there is a Patreon member. Uh, there we go. That oh, is my wow. daily drinker now. Honestly, it's so, it's so good. Yeah, he's uh, so Scott's holding up a bottle of um, Jack Daniels single barrel barrel proof. Um, it took over from Elijah Craig barrel proof for me because it was oh, just really? more consistent. Yeah, like, I, I'm a, I'm a proof hound, self admitted. But uh, the even though the Jack Daniels was a tiny bit more MSRP and also a little bit harder to find, mm -hmm. uh, it was just so much more consistent. I enjoyed it more, and the ECBP was going all over the place with the thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but we're picking two barrels of barrel proof rye from them. Very cool. So that'll be a lot of fun. So that's so I'll give you the details uh, after we close out the recording. Um, and then if not, then then I'll be back in Kentucky for the KBF. Oh, I'll be there. So, I'll definitely awesome. be there. Awesome. So um, with that, 
We'll also have links, of course, to social media and all of that. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. I like anything innovative, new, weird, different, whatever you want to call it, depending weird. on your perspective. <laughs> so Scott, thanks so much for taking the time tonight to yeah, talk man. through OJ Ingram. Um, oh, and the last thing is, uh, just like the last couple of episodes that have come out, there's going to be a playlist attached to this episode of other podcast episodes I listen to in preparation. So if you want to dig deeper, if, answer any questions that uh, maybe we didn't address here, just dig into the playlist and you'll have a good sense of that. And with that, close that. Scott, hang on with me for a sec afterwards. Yeah. This has been another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Thanks, everyone. And I'll see you next week. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderring.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyandmywedderring. That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeringPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.